Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Uh, let me just pray for us just at this moment. Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you for your presence with us now. Lord, you chose us before the beginning of this world to know you. And you reached out to us and called us to yourself. And you filled us with your Holy Spirit giving us a guarantee of our eternal life and the power to be your witnesses. And you gave us a calling and a commission. And, and you say to us, Lord, we're, we're to live a life worthy of you and of that calling. And Lord, in your presence now, we, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to be the one who speaks a living word into each of our hearts, that you would give us wisdom and revelation and open hearts for what you want to say to us today. We thank you so much for your presence. Amen. Amen. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm vicar of Holy Trinity in Leicester now and have been there for 11 years. My wife Bridget is currently in York with our youngest daughter looking at a university there. We're on the round of going, uh, seeing which university she might get to. It's an amazing story. Last year she failed all of her A-levels uh, because of severe mental health problems. And in a year's time, she's now predicted uh, two A's and a B, and God has restored her life. And so that's, we're really excited. We are genuinely excited about that. And so God has been so good to us. And uh, my other daughter's already at university, uh, and I'm left looking after the Springer Spaniel at home this weekend. And so uh, I have to be back ready for tea time for him. So... Um, in Holy Trinity, as I'll share later on, we are at the center of a city, uh, just down the road from David's center campus, and we have a sense of a call to the whole city, just like TLC, and we've just been exploring what it means to try and reach a city and a region, and to have a big vision of what God might do in Leicester. And I want to share something today of what our journey has been, but I, I'm, in discerning today, I felt I wanted to make it really personal, so I'm really glad because David has done a really fantastic job of the big picture of everything that church is, and I just want to honor you, David, in front of this group of people. I know you, and I know everything you've said is true. But that story is an amazing story. I didn't even know of where you started with TLC and where you are now. It's absolutely a work of God, and you've been amazing in that. So, yeah, I just want to honor you. And that's... So David's done a fantastic job at the big picture, and I want to try and personalize this so that out of today, there might be specific fruit that comes in your life. Because if I don't do what I'm about to do, there will be a sense of a whole for you as living rock of, yep, this is where we are and we're going forward. But the real danger is you personally will be unchanged by it. And I don't want to depress you by that, but it's just experience in ministry. And, uh, and so I want to challenge you that actually, if there's going to be fruit out of today, there has to be some really specific steps. And I want to do something of that with you this morning. Um, but at the beginning, let me tell you a story. So have the first picture, please. Thank you. So this is the Cholateca Bridge in Honduras. In 1988, they built this bridge as an indestructible bridge 
in order to make sure that they had protected the, the key routes across uh, the country of Honduras uh, so that they would never be disconnected. And so they built, they brought, took down the old one and they built this new one in 1988. Six months later, Hurricane Mitch blew through Honduras and swept everything in its path. We know what's just happened in the Bahamas. Destruction is terrible. And this was the picture after Hurricane Mitch. Next slide, please. The river had moved. The bridge is indestructible. <laughs> but the river has moved, and now the bridge is completely ineffective. So the Church of Jesus Christ is called to be a bridge. A bridge between a loving God who loves his creation, loves the people he's made, and yet those people don't know him and are lost and separated from him. And so he has brought a people for himself and he's created them as a church. And he's then commissioned us to be the bridge between him, the priestly ministry of touching God and touching this world, of bringing the two together and that we're a priesthood of all believers. We all hold this ministry together, together as the church. And our job is to bridge between God who loves people so much and them who don't know anything about it on their own. Now, in this country uh, and in the Western world, uh, the church used to do this in a way that it might have been a little bit effective. It wasn't completely effective, but it did a job of doing that bridge. And that bridge was put a building in the middle of a community, put a professional minister in that building, and invite people to come. Yeah. And that's been the pattern of ministry across all kinds of different denominations and streams, that that's what we think church is. We think church, so often people think it's a building. If it's not a building, it's a Sunday meeting and... That's what we think is the job of doing church. And for a long time, that gave the appearance of fulfilling the commission we're talking about today. Because people kept on coming in. There was an inherited knowledge of the Christian faith. Uh, there was Christendom, as we know it, in terms of we share the values. We thought the Christian story was a good story and the values were good values. And therefore, to invite people to participate in that and follow Jesus was a much easier thing. And so you just invited them to church on a Sunday. But over the last 50 years or so, a hurricane of societal change has blown through our country so that this church construction, buildings and ministers and patterns of being church remains. We're still in touch with one side of this bridge. We're still in touch with God, but we've lost connection with the world around us. And that connection is something that you will feel day by day a sense of, I don't know how to connect what is in me and the God that I know and the experience I have when I'm with my church family of all the riches that we have in Christ and by the Holy Spirit and what God's doing. How do I connect that 
with the people that I sit next to at work, on the bus, in my family, in my gym, in my school? How, how do I do that? And because of this societal change and because of the pattern of church, we in the church haven't equipped you to do that. And the result is, is that we are left a little stranded like that bridge, longing to connect, longing to see people know Jesus, and yet not knowing how to do it. And yet the commission remains. That's why we're here today. That's an amazing video earlier. I want to nick it and put Holy Trinity on it and, <laughs> and just copy it, honestly. <laughs> um, but so inspirational. That is the commission we have. That is what Jesus has entrusted to us. We don't have a gospel that's defective. We don't have a Holy Spirit who is in any way limited. But we don't know how to do this job of connecting all of that with the world around us. And so what that leaves us with normally is guilt. And that's not from God. That's never from him. But what we need today is some conviction and some humility to say, Lord, help me. I don't know how to do this. I, Lord, I want to do this. So I'm going to ask you uh, three questions. As always, when a speaker asks three questions, there is a tw- trick question. Um, it's not really a trick, but the last one is the one that you have to think about. The first question is this. Is, do you love God? Oh, do you? Maybe we need to do the first one, actually. (laughs) Do you love God? Yes. Do you love people? Yes. Do you love introducing them to each other? (laughs) So sometimes in the church, certainly in the Anglican church, um, people don't love God enough, and that's a problem. I don't think that's the problem here. Sometimes people don't love people. And there might be a few of you here. <laughs> but I think that the last question is where the crux of the matter is, which is, do I really love introducing people who don't know Jesus to Jesus? And that's what I want to talk about today. So if we go on to the next slide, Dallas Willard, um, when he wrote this amazing book on discipleship, um, The Renovation of the Heart, he says, if, there's, if anything is ever going to change in your life, you need three things. The first is vision. A vision of a preferred future, something that has changed and is different that you achieve in the future. Secondly, you need an intent that you're actually going to do something about it. There is going to be some action, a strategy And thirdly, you need the means. You need to know how to do that. So I'm going to give you an illustration of what will never happen in my life. I will never run a marathon. Um, I think that physically, I don't think I'm in any way unable to run a marathon in terms of I've got the same human ability that other people who run marathons do. But I don't have any of those three things. The first is I don't have a vision for it. I, honestly, if you're one of those runners, I call you joggers, I just don't get you. Why on earth would you want to pound the streets of a local community, running round and round, making everybody else feel guilty? It's just... <laughs> so, I don't get it. So, I don't have a vision for it. So, and therefore, I'm never, ever going to do... I don't have a plan for it. I'm not going to write a diary that I'm going to run the Leicester Half Marathon or anything like that. I don't have an intent to do it. And therefore, I don't train, I don't get fitter at that, I don't do couch to 5K or anything like that at all, because I don't want to do it. 
So the question is, do you want to bring somebody to know Jesus Christ? Not just in a guilty, I know I should, but does it become a passion of your heart that you believe that that is what you've been commissioned to do? And until you've seen that happen in and through you, you have not fulfilled everything that Jesus has called you to, and that he has not set you up for failure, he hasn't, he's not a mean God who gives you a call that you can't do, but he's given you a commission to make a significant impact in the kingdom of darkness and to see eternity populated with people for him. And every single one of us is given that commission. And so we have to grasp a vision of this. So let's look at a passage of scripture and uh, just see how Jesus does this vision, intention, and, and means, and then we'll look at each of those elements. So Luke chapter 10, if you put the next slide up for me, just you've got the opening verses there, uh, but I'll read it for you because it's quite small. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a house or enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Yeah. So on to the next slide, please. Jesus gives a vision he gives a massive vision. He says, the harvest is plentiful. Amen. He's saying they're out there. People are ready to be harvested into the kingdom. Yes. Don't you understand that? The, the issue is that it's not that we're so small because actually God isn't at work in people and he's not ready to reach people. It's that actually we're not in the harvest field. There aren't enough workers in the harvest field. Yes. And so the first thing he does is he gives them a big vision. And the question I have for you is, do you believe that there is a harvest field out there of people who are ready to know Jesus Christ? Because when I asked people at Holy Trinity this question, they were honest enough to say, I'm not sure. So we had, we had a situation where we were talking with people and we were wrestling with this fact that we had lots of connection with people. So we had probably at that time 15 missional communities all over Leicester. We've got 20 of them now. And we had got loads of people who weren't Christians in and around these communities, connected with them, enjoying the community, doing all kinds of fun things together. But nobody was becoming Christians. And so I wanted to find out why. And one of the things that we discovered was that people believed the lie that if they started to share, they would get rejected and it wouldn't be welcomed. And therefore, they lived with, A, a fear 
that was holding them back, and B, a sense that actually there was no point because nobody was ready. So we did something where we took 100 people out uh, door-to-door in Leicester, doing it old school. And we trained them, and we just said to them, we're going to train you in how to just knock on a door and say, we're from a local church, and we're just asking you, is there anything we could pray for you? And uh, not asking to do very much. If they got further than that, we'd given them some tools on how to lead them further on into faith. And so we visited um, 1,000 properties. And 500 of those properties let us pray with them. Now, loads of the other ones weren't in. Uh, We did it during the day as well as in the evening. 50% said yes to prayer. Some of them were just British, and they were too too polite to say no. You know, they're going, oh, gosh, I'm now in my middle-class Englishness, and I don't even know what to do with this. And so, okay, pray for me. I'll close my eyes, and I'll go away. So there there, there there was a fair amount of that. So that's... That's the reality, but other people were incredibly moved, brought to tears by the Holy Spirit. Some people came to faith on the doorstep, and we discovered that the harvest field is plentiful, that there is a harvest out there, and that people are open and spiritually ready to go on a journey to find out about Jesus. And so you need to capture this sense from today that you personally are commissioned and you are one of these workers that is being sent into the harvest field and that wherever you are, you have been sent. In that passage early on, Jesus is talking about sending constantly. Luke is using this word, send, 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 send. And wherever you are, you have been sent by Jesus Christ. Your position in your family, in your workplace, in your friendship group is an act of spiritual warfare by God because he wants to bring his kingdom in that place. That's what this passage says. The kingdom of God is coming in. And so you are commissioned to bring that in those places. And it's really hard to keep that alive Every morning when you get up and you go to wherever you go to have a sense of, Lord, you're sending me. We have um, at Holy Trinity uh, a piece of liturgy. Um, Liturgy is a really strange thing. Anglicans do it. It's like a prayer on a screen that's been pre-written and we all say it together out loud. Um, Does that make sense? Am I translating okay? Yeah, okay. (laughs) And there's really good old liturgies like the creed and things like that. And so... We, we write our own sometimes, and, and in, in our liturgy, it says that we've been crucified with Christ, and we, we say that verse together, and then it says, wherever I go this week, I have been sent. Yes. Amen. Very good. And we say that at the end of our services, our meetings as we go out, and you have to have a sense every day of waking up and going, Lord, what, what do you want to do through me today? Give me eyes to see. Show me where you're at work. Give me opportunity to show your love, speak of you. And you have to have others that keep that fire alive in you because it will go out unless you keep on that. 
So develop a prayer, as David said, on that seat at the beginning of each day where you're praying for God to fill you and the word to speak to you. In that space, develop a prayer of, Lord, send me, use me, and have a vision for going into the harvest field every day. And into this bit, I just want to bring a sense of, David asked us just to pray for you, you and what's God saying? And the the simple phrase I felt God give me was, uh, get the nets ready. It's just a simple phrase. But I feel that what God's saying in that is that he's saying, you have to prepare for the harvest before you actually see it. So when that miraculous catch of fish happened in, in, in the Gospels, they're crying out for other boats to come and help, and uh, it's too much for them. They can't cope with it. And what God is saying in that simple phrase is there, is, there is a miraculous catch coming. There is a harvest to reap. There are people to come, and you haven't got all your nets ready yet. And you haven't got all the, the places and all the, the church expressions and all the, the communities that he wants you to have yet that will receive this harvest that he has for you. And so you have to start to prepare for that and plan for that and see where he leads you. And that comes from this sense that there is a harvest there, but we have to learn how to connect, to be that bridge. And I really do think that in all you're doing in terms of spreading out and connecting, that it's a really important thing to understand that proximity matters. Distance is a big thing for people to cross to God. And we have to do our job, if we're like those bridges, of connecting. And proximity really matters. And so if that means for you, you have to move house to be the place where a church is being formed, then God might call you. Because he's saying, this is the place I want you to be in order to reach those people. And new churches and new church communities reach more people, they reach new people, they reach different people than the existing churches that already are there. And that's why we do this. So on to the next slide. We've done this corporately, and so um, these are are four of the churches that we're planting. Um, So up on the uh, top left is St. John's Clarendon Park. Five years ago, we sent 70 people there. And uh, that's grown to over 200, and it's, na- and it's now planning to plant in Oadby. Haven't told you yet, David. <laughs> um, just down to the left is, is, is a building that we're going to have to knock down and build a new one. But, uh, so don't be jealous of Church of England churches, please. Um, but a... A woman who's in her 50s, who was a primary school teacher, felt the call of God to be in leadership. We trained her up. We sent her with a team. She's seeing people come to know Jesus. The church has had the first full immersion baptism service it's ever had in its history. And so don't think there's a type of person that goes out on mission, that is just apostolic type that can break into new areas. It's every different kind of person. Um, imprint is, you can't see that very clearly, but it's a young man there called Wale. Uh, two years ago, I had a prophetic word for him when I was praying. I said, Wale, God is calling you to plant a church. He was 22. Uh, he'd had a year of discipleship training from us, 
and we sent him with 10 people to plant a church in the city centre of Leicester to reach black and minority ethnic uh, young adults. He grew that church to over 150 in 18 months. Um, last Sunday, he planted into London, and he planted with 200 people in London, having raised up a leader in Leicester, and he's now in London. But as I was preparing for last Sunday, we were talking together. I was saying, where are you planting next, Wally? He says, Poland and Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have known that there was a movement in that young man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The prophetic word released it, and then the church, because of its apostolic sentness and missional focus, said, yep, we're with you. Yes, right. And then he gets released, and God does extraordinary things, far more than he's ever done through me. And that's the joy of it. And then the last one is just a school in Belgrave, where we're going to plant into a school in October, a really poor estate. And... Uh, we've got a, a, a team leader there, and we're going to do an evangelistic church plant, not start with worship, but try and win some disciples for Jesus and let them form church and see what that looks like. So it involves you going corporately as well as individually. And it's that balance. And it's an overall vision, as, as David is your apostle, of this sense of God's call for the whole church. And then individually, we catch that culture and we, and we play our part together, but also individually in the witness that we bring. So what does Jesus say to these individuals that he sends out? He sends out these anonymous 72. Onto the next slide, please. They're just ordinary people. We don't know their names. That's what I love about this passage. And so they go in pairs together. And he's given them a vision for the harvest. He then has some intent. That is, you're going to go. Where are you going to go? You're going to go to towns and villages where I'm about to go. So you're my advance party. I think it's a great picture of mission in which we never save anybody. But actually, we're Jesus' advance party into somebody's life. And we create this connection through which he enters into that person's life. And so he, he sends them. And he says, that's the intent. And then he gives them the means. He says, this is how to do it. He's really practical. Now, we, we said to the people in Holy Trinity as we explored our lack of fruit in mission, we said, so what are the issues we asked, them, um, we asked our missional community leadership teams when we were gathered, about 100 people, how many of you in the last year have prayed with somebody in your workplace out there who doesn't know Jesus in your family, have shared the gospel in some way, said something about Jesus and what he means to you and what he could be for them, shared your testimony in some way, a good news story, not just the big testimony, but some testimony of God's work in your life. How many of you have done that? We made it as broad as we could in the last year. Less than 20%. So I did weep, um, genuinely, because I longed for a church that would be on mission and to be out in the harvest field. And we'd really been working at it. And I wept out of disappointment for, for God and for his people. I wept out of my own failure to equip God's people to do this. And I spoke to them and I said, okay, so let's talk about this. What are the issues that prevent you from doing this? So we, we came up with some fears 
we came up with a really interesting one that they didn't care that people were lost. Now, don't, don't think these people are terrible, okay, before you judge them, okay? They're, they're, they're good Christians. They're good Christians. They, they're, but what they're saying is, yeah, they, they understand people are lost and they're separated from Christ and, and in danger of eternity, uh, separated from him in hell, and yet, day by day, when they sat next to them, when they met them, when they saw them, there wasn't a concern for their lostness. There was a care for them as a person, but there wasn't a concern for their lostness, their eternal destiny, the fact they wake every day not knowing the loving Father who made them. There wasn't that in them. And then there was a lack of confidence. It's, I don't know how to do this, John. How do I actually do this? In sharing my faith with somebody, and it's not that they weren't willing to suffer for the gospel, but they also wanted it to be fruitful. And so this is the d- dilemma for us as Christians, which is there is the fear of rejection that stops us speaking when we, we should, but we also know if we do it in a really crass way, it's unlikely to be fruitful. I was having a conversation with somebody in the break, and the reality is, is street evangelism on the street, uh, preaching and sharing faith just one-to-one with people, is going to have fruit amongst people who recognize their brokenness and their need, and that's where it's going to be most fruitful. But in most people across this land, because of the comparative wealth with the rest of the world, that wealth provides a support system for their life and a distraction from all of the sense that they need God. So actually, day by day, they don't live with a desperation of, I need something. They, they, they hide that, they cover it up, they depend on other things, and that's what the whole of our society is designed to do. Yes. Distract people, yeah. fill them with stuff, because they're empty. And so the result is, is that if I share my faith in a way that just tells people that they're spiritually lost and that they need Jesus, however much I might love them and want them to know Jesus, unless... God has really prepared them, that's not going to go very well. And that's what people were scared of as well. It wasn't just they were scared of being rejected and losing relationship. It was that they just didn't think it would work. So they're saying, help me. So we worked on some stuff and we developed some some things. And out of today, if you're at all interested, um, there's some resources. Uh, I don't get any money from this, so I can promote them unashamedly. Uh, this is Mission Shaped Grace. It's a book that uh, describes personal missional practices and gives a, a deeper theological foundation in terms of a vision for us as mission, disciples who go and make more disciples. And then this is um, Mission Shaped Living. It's an eight-week um, small group resource um, for... Uh, with a leader's guide and a participant's workbook, which we used in our church. For four months, I said to our church, okay, we've realized what this is, and we're going to train you. And I said, Christian entertainment is over for four months. And so I said, "There's no, we're not running the alpha course, because I don't want to give you the impression that people are coming to faith without you doing this. Uh, We're not doing any of the other lovely stuff that we do. You're just going to be in your communities, and every two weeks in those communities, we're going to train you. And people hated me for at least two months. (laughs) And because, isn't it interesting, we have that great verse where we say, all scripture is God-breathed, 
we say amen to that, and is useful for correcting and rebuking. <laughs> okay, maybe. Um, teaching, yep, yeah, that's good. Training in righteousness. And what I realized is I never trained anybody in our general life of our church. We have scripture reading, and we pray, and we encourage each other, and we have fellowship, and we build each other up. But never do I say, okay, this is how you do this, and then next time I see you, how did you get on doing it? Did you do it? Oh, you did? Oh, great. Oh, no, you didn't. Okay, let's talk about why not. And so for four months, we did that, and that's why they hated me. And I said, the deal is, is that at the end of the four months between uh, Christmas and Easter, we will tr do this training, and if people start to come to know Jesus, it will only last four months. <laughs> so I said, it's up to you how long this lasts, okay. <laughs> so first, first two months, it was like tumbleweed when we had testimony time. <laughs> Um, and we asked people to share. There were some encouraging stories, but in the last two months, those last eight weeks, every single week, somebody had led somebody to Jesus, personally. Not the church, not me, but individual Christians. And so they changed, and they changed because we'd set the vision, we'd created an intent that this is an expectation, and then we'd given them some means to do it. So I'm just going to show you very briefly the means that we did it by. So on the next uh, slide. So confidence. That's what we realized people didn't have. We, we raised the confidence in Jesus, that Jesus really is what your friends and work and colleagues need. So often in, in wealthy Britain... Um, unless we're working with the poor, as David so movingly described, we're with people who look just like us. And the danger is, is we don't look very different sometimes. And so we need to realize that they are lost and that they need Jesus. And he is the one they were created to know. And he is the one who can save them. And he is the one who will meet their deepest need of salvation and relationship with God. And so we have to work on that. How do we work on that? We work on looking at Jesus and we look at um, our call and our commission to take him, to be a representative for him, to be an ambassador for him, to be one who carries his presence wherever we go. That wherever we are, we have within us the gospel seed that has the potential to totally transform a person's life wherever we are in any moment that is there. And so we build a confidence in the truth of that. Secondly, we, we need to build some confidence in the practice of mission, which we'll go on to. Secondly, compassion. If we care about the lost state of people, we will be compassionate about it. And our expression of that starts in prayer. And that's the really good news for you today. Before you do anything else, build this vision of seeing people you know come to know Jesus into your prayers. It doesn't require you to say anything to anyone. But if you start to pray every day for lost people then you will change. God will change your heart. He will, you, you will catch the Father's heart, as David was talking. And that will change you. And then he will change them. And so we taught people to pray for five every day. And pray in all kinds of different ways, but I pray the Lord's Prayer for them. I praise you, Lord, for these people that you created. They're marvelously made. I praise you for them. I thank you for your love for them. 
And I pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come in their lives and your will would be done. And I pray into that if there's any sense of what the Spirit's leading. I pray for their daily bread, their needs. I pray that the Lord would forgive them their sins and have mercy upon them. And I pray that he would set them free from the enemy's strategy against them and deliver them from evil. And I pray that for them every day. I've got 11 people that I'm praying for. And then if you pray that, you start to look at those people differently. And you start to pray for them when you're with them, silently. And you start to long for moments in those interactions with them for Jesus to break out into them. So it starts in compassion. And the reason it has to start in compassion is otherwise evangelism becomes a to-do list. It's what Becca Pippet Manley says, is evangelism is something I didn't even want to do to my dog, let alone my best friend. Because it just feels like I'm doing it to people. Just chucking stuff at them, imposing stuff on them, just preaching at them. No, this comes out of a love for them. Then we have to connect with people. And this is the key thing. So in the, in the passage, Jesus sends them to uh, these, these villages, and he tells them how to connect with people spiritually. He says, be compassionate, pray for the sick, show care for their needs, meet them in their place of needs, but speak peace to them. Now, you could, from this passage, if you're brave, just take that as a literal command, and every time you meet somebody in the coming week, just say, peace be upon you. Try that, honestly. If anybody does that, get in touch with me because I've never found anybody that's done that. So uh, I'd love to know if that works. I might be missing a trick here, so this might literally be what we should do. um, But what he's saying is connect with them spiritually. This is a spiritual sending mission that you're on. And so how do we connect spiritually with the people that we have in our lives? Um, The really good news that Jesus gives us in this passage is all you're doing is doing a little something like peace be upon you. If it's rejected, he says, you can leave. Now, in our relationships today, we're not going to towns and villages. We're just living our lives in amongst people. And so that doesn't mean you physically stop being in relationship with somebody. But the really good news is you don't have to keep sharing with those people because they're not spiritually prepared yet. They're not God-prepared person. What I often say to people is, you're looking to discover, is your friend a moth or a cockroach? (laughs) If they're a moth that God has prepared, they go, oh, the light, the light, (laughs) the light, I want to come to the light. (laughs) But if they're a cockroach, they're scuttling off into the darkness. And so, (laughs) don't ever tell your your friends that they're a cockroach. (laughs) But... Jesus is saying, you're looking for God-prepared people. People who are ready for the light of Christ. And anybody who isn't, you just keep praying for them. You don't don't force them in prayer, but you're just looking. So Karen is in in, in our group, and she is looking at what we're doing, and everybody hates me, but she says to me, no, I'm going to do the training, John, because I know that this is something I should do, but I'm never doing this because I'm not one of those Christians that can share my faith with anybody. So we're teaching how to do this connection, and we just teach three simple things. The first, we say, well, we summarize it with two things, which is you ask questions. Jesus went around asking questions all the time. It's so gentle. It's so relational. You just ask people about their lives, but when you hear something about their life, you just ask them, could I pray with you? Simple as that. Or 
they share something about their lives and you say, the second thing we say is tell stories. Ask questions, tell stories. And you might tell your story or you might tell the gospel story. But that's all it is. Just ask questions, tell stories. So she's having this training and we do terrible things like role play in it and make them practice telling their testimony and practice praying with people in artificial made-up situations and everybody gets upset about that. As if, <laughs> but the reason we do it is if you don't do it in here, you'll never do it out there. And the meeting place is meant to be the training place for the marketplace. It's this, we're, we're meant to be together. We're meant to be to, when we're together, we're meant to be equipping each other for the mission that we're on. So we do training like that. Karen's been through the training. She comes back one week. She said, John, you'll never guess what happened. I said, what happened, Karen? She said, well, I was in my office, and Lisa has been really upset for the last few weeks, and we've known that, but we didn't know what to do. And so I just asked her how she was that morning. She told me another things that had gone wrong. And I couldn't stop myself saying, can I pray for you? Yeah, <laughs> and before it got out of my mouth, because you kept training us to do this, I couldn't stop it. And then the terrible thing was she said, yes, please. <laughs> so I prayed with her. And I just prayed this simple prayer. And then she's in tears. And then she says these incredible words. She says, for the last three months, my life has been so miserable that every night before I go to bed, I pray to God in case he's there. I think that this is the first time I've ever appeared in somebody else's prayers. Karen did not know that Lisa had been prepared by God, that God was drawing her to himself. And she would never have known if she hadn't done the simple thing of saying to her, could I pray with you? And as a result of that, they then did a little sort of mini version of the Alpha course every other week in, in their lunchtime, and Lisa became a Christian. Um, and that's what happens through somebody, hear, hear me say this, who said, I will never do this, John. What changed? She actually just got the means of doing it. She, she found a model that would work in her context in an office where she doesn't have to do anything that feels uncomfortable, but in relationship with somebody she knows, she knows how to just offer to pray for somebody. So, we're going to do that now. Get your phones out. You don't have to do anything I say, by the way. I'm just a visiting speaker, so I have no authority over you at all. What I would like you to do with your phone is I'd like you to find somebody in your contact list that doesn't know Jesus yet. Think for a moment about who you might like to send a message to, and the message is going to be, I was thinking of you this morning, and I just wondered, is there anything I could pray for you? So you can have a pray about it, or you could just choose somebody randomly. I think this is so inoffensive that it doesn't matter who you send it to. You could, if you're Michael McIntyre, send all. <laughs> and see what comes back. <laughs> Somebody's done that before. <laughs> so we'll just give old people like me, who use their fingers and not their thumbs, to text.
Now, I've done this a number of times with a number of groups, and I've never heard of a rejection in terms of somebody say, how dare you send me a message like that? And I've never, when I've been in connection with a group, had a group of people that one text didn't lead ultimately to somebody being saved. This, this is how powerful the presence of God is. That we send, a, we send a message to somebody who's just in the middle of their day, and God and his Holy Spirit is present with that person. And if they're a God-prepared person who has already been at work in, in their hearts and their lives, this lands. Now, the reason that this is so powerful is that you've done something incredibly loving to that person. Number one, you've shown them that they're significant enough to you that you've been thinking about them when you weren't with them. That's massive in our culture. Significance is massive. You've just shown to them that they are significant to you. And secondly, you've asked them a question that allows them to show you what matters to them at the moment and that you care about it. So let's just pray together. Father, I thank you for every single person represented by a text this morning. Lord, you love them deeply. And Lord, we bless them now in the name of Jesus Christ with your presence and your peace. And we pray, Lord, as this text reaches them and they read it, that you, Holy Spirit, would open their hearts and you would speak to them and draw close to them and cause them to answer in such a way that would open up uh, a channel of your grace into their lives and in this relationship with your people. So, Lord, bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And the thing about this, which is so powerful, is that if you are used by God to reach one person, just one person, that opens up a channel of incredible possibilities that would save millions, potentially, because the gospel touches another person's life and then touches another person's life and then another person's life. And that's how God has done it since the beginning of the church. We're all linked incredibly to those first apostles, not just by their teaching, but by the, the, the gospel that has passed from one person to another. And here we are in Stony Stanton, millions of years, or thousands of years and thousands of miles from Jerusalem, And that's a link that has only happened because of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. And so four years, five years ago, I think it is now, I sat with Chris in a coffee shop. And uh, he's a guy who has a Christian uh, wife in our, our congregation. And I'm just sharing with him just coffee and talking about life. And then I'm getting grumpy about the Non, about the people who are going out of the coffee shop in order to smoke because we're by the door and the smoke's coming in and the cold is coming in and I'm just getting fed up with it and I'm complaining about it and he said did you ever smoke John? I said yes I did when I was 11 and <laughs> I smoked for six months he said what was going on for you when you were 11? <laughs> that's the start of my testimony I tell my testimony to him At the end of it, he is crying. This is a professor of history at Loughborough University who's the head of a national government agency. And he says to me, I want that to happen to me. 
he then became a Christian. Uh, he's now ordained as a Christian leader. Last year, he led 30 to 40 international people to Jesus Christ. I, I didn't lead 30 to 40 people to Jesus Christ. He's much more fruitful than me. I shared with one. And now the gospel is going across the whole world. That's what Jesus does. That's the potential of your life. But unless you have somebody that will keep you doing this, you won't do anything from today. You need to find people to stimulate you, hold you accountable, live this out together, and learn how to do this confidently. So we connect with people. We then, Jesus says, stay with people. You have to continue with them. It's not going to happen overnight. And sometimes people say that evangelism is just whatever happens as the Spirit leads. I think Wesley was told, only do what you hear the Holy Spirit tell you to do every day. Did that for a day. Said, shared with nobody, going back to the old methods, which was, I'm intentionally going to share Jesus with everybody that I possibly can. That was what he learned. That it's not just a spiritual leading. It's a conviction that leads to a daily practice. And so in the person that you find who is one of these God-prepared people of peace who are ready to go on this journey with you, you have to be intentional. Yeah. Don't be passive. You're called to share the gospel with them. Now, you have to be appropriate. You can't force anybody, but you have to be willing to go with them on the journey. And the question you have to ask God all the time is, what next, Lord? Okay, we're here now. What next? I've got a friend called Tony. I first went to him and said, how about we meet up every now and again and we talk about spiritual stuff, deep things of, uh, of our lives, and think about God. I don't know if you've ever been interested in this. I practiced that speech at least five times in front of the mirror before I went to the pub <laughs> and to meet Tony. I said, you're going to have to do this tonight, John. Don't drop the ball. Don't be a coward. I practiced it. I thought he was going to laugh at me. He is the head of a massive manufacturing firm. He is the leader of a salsa band, incredibly talented. He used to be on the taekwondo team for Great Britain and a semi-professional footballer. He's incredibly fit and sort of physically uh, very imposing. And I thought he'd laugh at me. He said to me, John, I don't think anybody's ever asked me that before, and I know how busy you are, so if you think that would be a valuable thing to do, then I would give you any time to do that with me. And what he was really telling me was that he was lonely. He had all of this activity, but nobody really knew him. Now, we've been on a journey for three years. I can't believe he's not a Christian yet. I've invited him to Alpha three times. He said no each time. I say to him one day, I said, oh, I'm, I'm just... Um, planning a Tanzania trip. We're going with the church. We're going to go and do various things. He said, I'd like to come. I said, okay, Tony, you want to come to Tanzania? He said, yeah. I said, it's a Christian thing. He said, yeah, I know. I said, we're going to be trying to share the gospel and help people. Yeah, I'll come to that. <laughs> we, we, have the, we, have the first, we have the first meeting of the team. I said, okay, let's just share why we think we're called to do this. Get to Tony. He says, I really want to go deeper in my faith. I said, I said, Tony, I actually said out loud, I said, Tony, you haven't got a faith. <laughs> he said, yeah, but you know what I mean. I really want to have a faith, John. You know that. Why hasn't it happened yet? And I'm going, what is happening? I didn't know he was there. So we now have conversations, and I say, you can open the door, Tony. And he's saying, no, God has to do something significant before I do that. That's pride. 
God knows what he's doing. But Tony came to Tanzania. For two, <laughs> and he saw us drive demons out of people and heal the sick. And, and it's playing with his head, but he doesn't yet follow Jesus Christ. So that's three years of continuing. It takes time. Just ask what next. And then you have to understand how to lead them to faith. That's conversion. And then you have to understand how to disciple them to go and teach other people to follow Jesus so that they're a missionary from day one. So let's land there. Would you stand with me and let me pray for you? And if you're interested in those books, they're out at the back and uh, there's ways to pay for it just at the back. So let's pray. Let's do as David said. Let's just put our hands out as a sign of openness. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, you're the one sent to give us power to be witnesses. I just pray now for you to come and speak again to us and anoint us and empower us for this commission. Come, Holy Spirit. And we just wait for you. We say more of you, Lord. We need you. We need you. And I just pray in this time now for that spirit of revelation to be in people's hearts and minds, showing them who and where they're called. I pray you'd release imagination and dreams and visions and names of people and... Just pray, Lord, for you now by your Holy Spirit to rest upon the evangelists. Lord, raise up the evangelists, quicken the evangelists, Lord. We're all called to this. But Lord, your gift of evangelists to stimulate and raise faith and bring in the lost, Lord, release that gift, Lord, in people. And I pray, Lord, for the fire. Holy Spirit, come as fire. Light a passion in our hearts and a, and a fire in our hearts, Lord, that will not be extinguished, but will start a movement from our very lives into other people that will not be put out, will be unstoppable, and a momentum, Lord, that will overcome the darkness and break the, bring the kingdom into new places and new lands and new people, Lord. Holy Spirit, come like fire. Light a fire in people's hearts, Lord, I pray. More of you, Lord. More of you. More of you. Release your heart, Lord. We've heard about your Father's heart. Release it. Give us a compassion where our hearts have become hard, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And in Jesus' name, I break off people fear and guilt that are nothing to do with the kingdom. I break it in Jesus' name. I break off you past disappointments and failures and declare that the future is not going to be like the past and it's not a predictor of the future. Lord, we trust ourselves to you. 
and we say yes again to your call to this commission for your glory's sake. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.